We've started this new series uh, over the, last week. We started a brand new series, and maybe you were here for it. And it's going to take us through the next couple of weeks. And, and in this series, we're going to be talking about, in fact, this morning, and, and Mike and Sharon did such a great job. We've already talked about some of the big issues in our culture and in our world. And that's, this series really deals with a number of those as well. Some of the big issues in our world and in our culture that we who might say that we're followers of Jesus Christ have to deal with. We're calling this series, the series is called Sex by Design. And, and uh, you know, all these issues that we're talking about over the next few weeks, our, our sex and sexuality, these are issues where, and you probably know this already, I'm probably going to shock you with this, but what God says about these things is different than what our world says about these things. And what we tend to do with this, with, with sex and our sexuality is, is, is we tend to do something similar to, I'll give you another situation. Let's say I pulled my iPhone out of the box, brand new. So I went to the Apple store and I, and I, I got one of these iPhones and I brought it home and I pulled it out of the box. Now this would never ever happen, but let's say this did happen. Let's say I pulled it out of the box and it didn't work. Okay? Or, and this would never happen either, but let's say it did happen. I pulled out of the box and I didn't understand how to use it. Okay? And I felt like I had to go back to somebody to say, teach me how to use this thing. Or this thing doesn't really work. I'm not sure exactly how to make this thing work the way it was intended. I can tell you that probably the last place that I would go would be to go into the Burlington Mall and walk past you know, the Xbox dancing machine and right into the Windows store and ask the people in the Windows store, hey, I got this phone and it's not really working properly. And in fact, there's some features I don't really know how to use. And the reason I wouldn't take it there is because if I'm going to take a product to someone that's really going to teach me how to use it, then I, the best place that I can go is back to the person who invented it and created it. If I really want to understand why something was made the way it was or why something was put into place, the best place I can do is go back to the person that made it or the person that created it and ask them why it is the way it is. The competitor, while they may be able to tell me some things, doesn't understand the original design fully, doesn't understand the original function fully, and at the end of the day, doesn't really want me to get everything out of this product because they'd rather that I owned their product. When it comes to sex and sexuality, what we do is we take something that God has created and God has put in place, and we take it to God's largest competitor, this world, and we say to this world, teach us how to use this thing. Teach us how to use it. When it comes to sex and our sexuality, teach us what we're supposed to do with this thing, with this product. And not surprisingly, our world comes back with something very different. So all we want to do over these weeks is go back to the person who invented it and created it and ask them what they say about how it's supposed to be used. So last week, Pastor Rick talked about boundaries. And the first two weeks of this series, we're not getting into a lot of specifics. We're just setting the stage. What are the things that lead us to such a different conclusion than what God says? And last week, Pastor Rick talked about boundaries. And he said that we often think that Freedom is the elimination of boundaries. But true freedom is not the elimination of boundaries. It's just having the correct boundaries in place. This week we're talking about something different. I think, however, when it comes to our culture, 
This mindset, this issue that we're going to talk about for just a few minutes this morning is the greatest reason why we hear what God says about sex and sexuality and we as a culture say no thank you. I think that this mindset that we're going to talk about today is the main reason why at the end of the day we hear what God says, but we reject it. And I have a question for you. I have a question for you as we begin this morning. And the question is, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that makes you happy? Perhaps happiness for you is a good book in a nice comfortable chair with a blanket next to the fireplace, the snow falling outside, hot chocolate next to you. <laughs> or maybe for you, happiness is a good book on a beach chair, the sand under your feet, the sun beating down on top of you, and the crash of the waves behind you. What is happiness for you? What does it look like? In fact, I'd like to know. What makes you happy? Someone tell me. Don't get all spiritual on me yet. But what just makes you happy? What thing? Starbucks makes you happy. Excellent. What else makes you happy? Disney World. Disneyland makes you happy. That's good. They're living up to their billing. What else? Working out makes you happy. To each his own. Studying makes you happy. Cooking. Cooking makes you happy. I'm more of a happy eater, but I'm glad cooking, cooking makes you happy. Amen, Gus. Your mom makes you happy. Excellent. Tom Brady makes you happy. I know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it does make us happy, right? Malcolm Butler intercepting a pass. The end of an 86-year-old curse. Listen, I come from Nebraska. College football has been horrendous there this year, but we beat Michigan State last night and ended their run at the national championship. So, I mean, these things make us happy. I have a daughter who's four years old, a daughter who's four years old. For her, happiness is ice cream and a good episode of Paw Patrol. But what is happiness <laughs> to you? What is happiness to you? It's... It's interesting how we talk about happiness because happiness, when we talk about happiness, happiness could be something very deep and meaningful. We could say, you know what would bring me happiness? Happiness would be if I could just meet that person who I could spend the rest of my life with and that we would get married and that we would start a family. I mean, that's happiness. And you know what else would bring happiness right now? like a large, hot, regular from Dunkin's, right? <laughs> and so it, we use it for a lot of things, this idea of happiness. When it comes to happiness, there's two things that we all believe, two things that we as a culture, and I bet most of us in this room um, in, in many ways would believe. It's certainly our culture believes these things. Certainly the world that we live in believes these things. And the first thing that we believe, our world believes about happiness, is one, happiness is extremely important. Happiness is, is wildly important to our culture. And maybe we would say that as well. We say, yeah, it's important. Happiness is important to me. The things that make me happy, the things that, that make me smile, those things are, are really, really important. 
I was listening to a presentation given by a college student a couple weeks ago, and she was speaking to other current students, and her whole presentation was telling these other students that their GPA should not affect their happiness. She was saying, you know, sometimes we get so stressed out and depressed over our grades that we miss the great things that are happening right in front of us, which is, which is great, which is fine. At the very end of the presentation, she said these words. She said, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our happiness is all we really have. At the end of the day, our happiness is all we really have. And you know, I think most of the people that we work with, that we live with, a lot of us in this room, we really feel that way. At the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, all we really have is, is, is we should be able to live in a way that makes us happy. That's really important to us. In the spring of 2006, Harvard University offered the most popular class that they have ever offered. Hundreds of years of classes, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of courses offered at Harvard University. In the spring of 2006, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, maybe some of you know that name, offered the most, uh, most important, or I guess the most enlisted, enrolled class ever in the history of Harvard University. The class was PSY 1504, Positive Psychology. And if you read the description of the course... The description of the course was to study and talk about what it is that makes us happy. Dr. Ben-Shahar offered that class one semester in the spring of 2006, and not only was it the most popular class ever offered at Harvard University, it also spawned a number of national bestsellers. And you may, without even knowing it, have seen him on television or seen his books available. This is so important to us, this idea of happiness, that when we had to frame our society, we put it right at the front of the Constitution. That we have three rights. The right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to the pursuit of happiness. Being happy, seeking happiness, this is important to us. The other thing that we believe of when it comes to being happy not only is it very important to us, but we also believe in our culture that happiness is very individualistic. Not only is it important, but it's individualistic. What makes you happy is not necessarily what makes me happy. You may like to study, I may not. You may like to cook, I might like to eat. A patriot's win may make you very happy, but it will very much upset the people in Washington, D.C. today. And so what makes you happy does not necessarily make me happy. We think that happiness is something that's very individualistic. In fact, Dr. Ben-Shahar, when he defines happiness in his class and in his books, he says happiness is enjoying the journey towards a destination that we determine. Happiness is enjoying the journey towards a destination that we as individuals, that each and every one of us determine. And when we hear about people choosing to do certain things, we hear about people taking a certain path in life or choosing a relationship or go, choosing maybe a college, when we make big decisions, the one question that we have for people when we're trying to evaluate whether or not they've made a good decision, we will often say to them, well, are you happy? And if they say, yes, I'm happy, we'll say, well, then it must have been a good decision. Happiness is quite important to us 
And it's also, we believe, and in our culture, quite individualistic. Much of what's out there in our world today will tell you, you should figure out what makes you happy, figure that out, and then by all means, pursue it. And far be it from anyone else to tell us that what we think makes us happy is not what we should be doing. You see, when we come to God and we come to this book, something happens. You know, some of us have been, we would say we followed Jesus for a, a long time, and this still happens to us. Some of, some of us, this is the reason why we choose not to follow this book, is what we're talking about this morning. And, and some of us don't even realize that, that we're doing this. What happens is we, could come, we come to this book and we assume that since our greatest priority, what's so important to us and so important to us as individuals is happiness, we assume that we're going to come to this book and find out that God's greatest priority for us is our happiness, whatever we think that looks like. And we come to this book, I mean, Oprah taught us that, Right? She's taught us that, and everyone, everyone that has come along after has taught us that, that there is a God, there is a being, and God's greatest concern is that you are empowered and that you are happy. Nothing brings God happiness like your happiness. And we open this book and we look for that verse. Truly, truly, God wants us to be happy. We try to find that in here. Some of us assume, some of us assume that it is in here. And we look for that verse, and something happens. We very quickly come across a different word, also that begins with H. But it's a word that doesn't seem to inspire us the way that happiness inspires us. Right away in the, in the beginning of the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, God is revealing to his people who he is and giving them all the rules, the Ten Commandments, and so much more that they are to follow. And he says to them what his greatest desire is for them as they follow him. And he uses a different word that begins with H. Not the word happy, but the word holy. And God says to his people, I am holy. I am perfect, blameless, and the rules that I am giving you, the guidelines that I'm giving you are designed so that you also might live holy lives. In fact, he says it very early on in, in the Bible. He says it in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. This is what he says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And just a few pages later, so that the people really understand what God is saying. He says this in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And just so we don't think that this is only an Old Testament principle that happened a long time ago just to the Israelites when they were with God, the Apostle Peter, when he's writing thousands of years later, and he followed Jesus, you remember Peter, he walked on the water, denied Christ before the cross, that Peter, when he is writing, he says the same thing. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And what happens to us is we come across this dynamic. 
where we want to seek out our happiness. And God tells us to seek out our holiness. Now, as long as we agree with God that our happiness and his holiness, living the way that he's calling us to live, living as he would have us live, trying to be holy as he is holy, perfect and blameless in all that we do, as long as what we think makes us happy agrees with what God says is holy, we're fine. So God says to us, do not murder. And we think about it. And we say to ourselves, okay, no murder would make us happier. That's a happier thing, no murder. And so we go back to God and we say, God, we agree with you. We're fine with that one. We will not murder and, you will, and that will make us all happy. But when we come to other things, specifically in the area, many times, of sex and sexuality, and we get into it and God says, listen, sex is reserved for one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage. We take a look at that one and we say to God, doesn't sound like it's going to make me happy at all. In fact, I know people. That doesn't make them happy. And I've tried it the other way and I was pretty happy. And whenever we come to these moments, and this happens all the time in our world in this realm. In fact, this is happening in the church more and more. Where we feel like we have to choose between what we think will make us happy and what God calls holy. We say to God, all right, God, if you're making me choose, then I'm going to choose being happy. My happiness is greater than your holiness. That's what we say to God over and over and over again. If I have to choose between what you say is holy and what I think is going to make me happy, God, if that's what I have to do, then here's the decision that I make. What I think is going to make me happy is more important to me and greater than what you call holy. What I want us to think about this morning and what I want to say to you today and what I believe God, God's word says to us is that this decision we think we have to make between happiness and holiness is in many ways a false dichotomy. That God, the God who created us, the God who created you, the God who put the boundaries in place that Pastor Rick talked about last week, the God who loves us and cares for us enough to die on the cross for our sins, absolutely cares about our long-term, deep-seated, meaningful joy. Absolutely, more than anything that we could care about for ourselves, our God absolutely cares about our eternal, long-term, deep-seated, purposeful, meaningful joy. We think that when we see God's rules, that one of the things that God's boundaries that his, his rules, his law is going to do, if we follow it and be holy, many times we say to ourselves, well, I'm going to choose holiness, but I'm going to sacrifice my happiness. It may look that way in the moment. But I want you to know this morning that when a choice for holiness is not a choice for misery. A choice for holiness is not a choice for a boring, cloistered 
lonely life. Because our God knows what we need more than we ever could. And he is absolutely interested in our long-term joy. There's a poem in the book of Psalms. It's a poem written by David, David of David and Goliath. It's the first one, Psalm chapter 1. It's a song that he wrote, a poem that he wrote, and it's recorded for us right there at the beginning of the book of Psalms. And this is what he writes. Blessed, blessed. That word blessed, it appears in the Old Testament many times. It also appears in the New Testament. Whether it's in Hebrew in the Old Testament or Greek in the New Testament, like when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that could easily be translated happiness or joy. It's translated sometimes, in some translations, happiness or joy. That's what the word means in the original context. We choose blessed, and even though it's blessed, when it appears in the Bible, we say blessed, it sounds more holy. (laughs) It's the only time we say blessed. I don't know what else. Blessed. But I will say blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, Joyful is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his joy, his happiness is on the law of the Lord. His delight is on what God calls holy. And what the Bible says, what God says, is if you want true joy, I mean deep-seated, meaningful, long-lasting joy, not something that's here for the moment and gone the next. You want real, true, purposeful joy. Follow what I call holy, and you'll receive it. In the moment when we have to make that decision, it looks like we're making a choice against happiness. When we break off the relationship, when we shut down conversations that we're having with people that aren't our spouse that we shouldn't be having, when we unplug the computer or the television, it looks like we're making a choice against happiness when we don't move in together. What God is saying is if you'll choose holiness, In the end, you'll be blessed beyond what you could imagine. We need to consider the fact that we might not be as good in our culture and in our world. We may not be as good at seeking happiness as we think we are. 
We think we're really good at this. And in fact, we keep saying to ourselves, well, if we keep removing boundaries, maybe we'll finally be happier. We think we're really good at this. You know, every year the UN has National Happiness Day on March 12th, on March 20th. I know you probably had a party this year like I did. But the UN has National Happiness Day, World Happiness Day, not National, World Happiness Day on March 20th. And every year on March 19th, the Gallup organization releases their World Happiness Poll in anticipation of World Happiness Day. You know the top 10 happiest countries year after year after year are found in just one place in this world. They're all in the same region of this world. And if you think about where those 10 countries would be, you would say, well, they're probably the ones that have the prosperity and they're probably the ones that have the, the freedoms and they're probably the ones uh, that, have, that have all the things that we chase after. They have the most money and the most opportunity. That's probably where happiness lives. And do you know where those 10 countries are? It's not Europe, not Scandinavia, like we are often told. It's not North America. It's only three countries. Don't guess that. That would be, would be embarrassing. <laughs> Central America. Year after year after year, the top 10 happiest countries in the world are in Central America. Guatemala ranks 118th on the list for gross domestic product. One of the poorest countries in the world. Second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Year after year, Guatemala is second on the happiness list. The United States, we check in every year around 25, 26, after places like Rwanda. We think we're really good at this, but we may not be as good as we think we are. Also, we're chasing something that's fleeting. Two months ago, or three months ago, AARP Magazine asked Bob Dylan, they said, you know, Bob, you're at the end of your life, you're at the end of the career, tell us, have you ever held happiness? And Bob Dylan said, for a moment, but it's like water, and it's impossible to hold. The thing that we're chasing, the thing that we're running after, it is something that is fleeting, that we will never catch. It's here for a moment and gone the less. And more and more in our culture, and as I was thinking about this idea, more and more in our culture, as we pursue what we think is happiness as individuals, as we run after this thing, we are hurting people in the wake. We are leaving paths of destruction in the wake of our pursuing happiness. I read story after story and, in fact, listened to stories from people in this room and in Belmont as I was thinking about this sermon. Stories of the mom who walks out after 30 years because it's her time for happiness. Stories of the sister that they know that walked out on their family to pursue a different relationship because it was her time for happiness. And our world would say, hey, if it makes you happy, go for it. Go for what makes you happy. But we ignore the pain of what's left behind when we go after what we think is happiness. Maybe we're not as good at chasing happiness as we think we are. When God talks to us about choosing holiness, it is not that we have to make a decision as to what's greater to us. 
It's not like we, I mean, it's not like we have to give up being happy ever again. That's how we approach it. We think that if we come to God, if we listen to what the Bible says, if we listen to what those fundamentalists say, if we do what those, those evangelicals are talking about, that we will eradicate happiness from the face of the earth. But what God says in his word is that being holy as he is holy and living the way that he calls us to live and setting in our lives those boundaries will ultimately, even though it's not easy, no one's saying it's easy, even though there won't be people around us who don't understand and give us a difficult time, no one's saying it won't be easy. But what God says to us is that it won't lead just to temporary happiness. What it will lead to is deep, purposeful, meaningful joy. What's the danger in ignoring this? <laughs> the danger in saying, God, I'm just going to keep doing with what I, what I think is making me happy and ignoring what you say is holy. A couple months ago on the internet, a video surfaced. And the video is of a homeless man who is playing soccer on the streets of Madrid, Spain. So he went to one of the busiest intersect or busiest plazas in the city of Madrid, and he was there for hour after hour after hour asking people to play with him. He was pretty good, and no one would play soccer with him, except for one boy. It took all day, but one boy stayed and played soccer with this man. And they kicked the ball around, and they enjoyed the time together, and then something happened. The man took the ball and he asked the child his name and he signed the ball. And he handed the child the ball and then he took off his disguise. And this was no homeless man on the streets of Spain. This was Cristiano Ronaldo, by all means the greatest soccer player in the world. And a national hero in Portugal and Spain where he played for the Portuguese national team and Real Madrid. He is, by some accounts, the greatest soccer player who ever lived. What strikes me about the video is all the people who, for hour after hour after hour, walked past this man with their head down. He was there playing soccer and asking people to join him. They just, but they knew what they had to do, and they knew what was going to make their day best. They knew what was going to be happiest for them. They, they knew what they had to get done. And so rather than pay attention to the things around, they just kept their head down. And when it was revealed who was really there playing soccer, and it was Ronaldo, all of a sudden, everything changed. No longer did they know what was going to make them happiest and bring the most joy, but they ran and circled around him. And they, and they tried to get pictures, and they tried to, to get him then, but only one boy knows the joy of playing soccer with the greatest soccer player in the world. Only one. Everyone else was too busy. There is going to be a day where God reveals who he is. He reveals himself now, but I mean the big reveal. When he comes back and people see who he is. And there will be a time 
when all those who have kept their heads down, spending their lives doing what we think will make us happy and what we think is so important, all of a sudden realize in God's glory as he is revealed where true joy and where true happiness is found. And they will gather around and they will all come and they will circle around and they will say, now we know, now we know. We're sorry we wasted our time. Now we know. And it will be too late. It's up to us now to pick our head up and recognize where true joy is found. It's not by running around thinking we understand happiness. It's by listening to what God says in his word, pursuing holiness. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight, his love, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted in streams near streams of water, who bears fruit in its season and whose leaves do not wither. In all he does, he prospers. You know, some of us are in this room right now. We're choosing happiness over holiness right now. Especially in this area of, of sex and sexuality, we're going after what we think is making us happy, and it's the exact opposite of what God calls holy. And so the pornography on the computer and the relationship that we're in and encouraging the friends and family members just go after whatever they think would make them happy would we realize today that that will not lead us to happiness at all but greater brokenness and despair in the end and will we pursue holiness because the pursuit of happiness holiness it is the pursuit of happiness. Would you pray with me? God, we love you today. And Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We trust that you, what you say is holy and what will lead us towards joy is good and is right. God, for those of us who find ourselves in a place this morning where we have pursued happiness, what we think will bring happiness, at the sake of holiness, God, I thank you that there is always grace and mercy and forgiveness at the cross. I thank you that you are always ready to forgive us. But God, by your spirit, I pray that you would give us the strength that we need, the vision that we need, the wisdom that we need to make holiness our ultimate pursuit, to trust you and by your spirit to be led and guided towards being like you. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you alone. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, for the Lord, for the joy that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.